started a series three weeks ago. Uh, examine yourselves. Uh, Paul asked the Corinthian church to examine themselves and to see if they were in the faith. And that's a good thing. We need to know that we're in the faith, right? It's a good thing to know and be secure in it. And um, I read a blog that Phil's been posting blogs, and uh, it's just a little bit of a pitch for his blog. Uh, I can do that because he doesn't charge for that. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But as I read the blog, I said, this is where I'm going with this. This is exactly how I want to wrap this up. And so I asked Phil if he would uh, do that. And he graciously accepted and is going to share with us. Can we just pray real quickly? Or maybe not so quickly. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, we thank you that it's alive and active. And Lord, I pray that that would be very true this morning. That as these words come from your heart, through Phil's heart to us, that your Holy Spirit would anoint those words. That we would receive exactly what each of us individually needs to hear. And that we would respond in a way that is honoring to you and life-changing for us. So we ask these things in the name of mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, most of you remember the days when we had a cup of styrofoam, cup of water up where we just, we didn't worry about putting a top on it or knocking it off the table or germs entering. And I guess that's why we always now do this, right? Back after every sip. But I am not going to do that. <laughs> so. There is a little bit of rebellion in it. I don't know. Somebody said, Was that you that said that? Really? I don't think so. Well, for the last few weeks, John has been sharing on our relationship with Jesus. And one of the main points has been challenging us to examine ourselves, to take stock of where we are, to compare ourselves to Christ. To get right with God in the sense that we truly and fully understand what the gospel means and what our relationship with our Father should be. So after he, in a unique way, twisted my arm last week uh, from up here, uh, I agreed to do this. So I hope this meets his expectations. If it doesn't, too bad. It's what I have. So, we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But 
If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to introduce our guest easel to you. But not now. Uh, Psychologists, some of whom are amongst us, tell us that our relationship to our Heavenly Father is to a great extent colored by our relationship to our earthly father. And uh, I agree with most of that. I can clearly recall a night when I was 11 years old, when I was at home in Moravian Falls, North Carolina, with my family that evening. And I was back in my room, uh, hiding out. My dad, who battled alcoholism his entire life, and who was no respecter of liquor or beer in any form, fashion, or color, was home that night and he was drunk. It was often better when he was not at home. And that's how I always wished it to be, was for him to be away and drunk. But this night he was home. And uh, I made the unwise decision to leave my room and go into the kitchen to get a glass of buttermilk. And he was standing there smoking a Marlboro with his right hand. He held it in his right hand. He wasn't smoking his right hand. He was holding a Marlboro in his right hand and smoking it. And in his left, he held a fifth of George Dickel whiskey. Out of which he was drinking straight. And it was about two-thirds of the way empty. And he called me over to him. And he said these words. I want you to promise me one thing. Although his voice was a little bit slurred. That you'll do as I say, not as I do. And at that point he took another big drink. Promise me. Well, of course I said, I promise. Because I didn't want him to hit me. But I remember thinking at that moment, this, this is not right. Many of us are familiar with the 1924 hymn written by Harry Clark. Come into my heart. The chorus goes something like this. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus. Yes, indeed. That's where it all starts. Recognizing my own desperate, sinful nature. Realizing my need for a Savior. Knowing that without a Savior, I am separated from God. Believing on Jesus as that Savior. 
turning from my wicked ways, trusting Him to deliver me and stamp pardon on my soul with His cross. And now I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living no matter what anyone says. He lives. He lives. He lives within my heart. But that's just the beginning. In three short verses in Genesis chapter 5, we learn all the Bible has to say about the man Enoch. We know that he lived 365 years, which was not very long for that time of, of history. We know he was a father. And then the three most important words that perhaps could ever be said about any of us. Enoch walked with God. Of all the other men mentioned in the genealogy listed in Genesis chapter 5, it says about them, and then he died, but not Enoch. The Bible says this about him. Then he was no more, for God took him away. Now, I don't know whether Enoch went directly to heaven, bypassed death. I don't know. But I do know this. Something was sure different about the end of his life. Because something was sure different about the rest of his life. We can understand that Enoch knew about God. And not only that, but Enoch knew God. There's a difference. I know about Donald Trump. I don't know him. Beyond that, Enoch knew God's ways. He knew God's heart. He knew God's truth. But even greater than that, Enoch walked with God. Now, Adam was in the presence of God, walking with God, as the Scripture says, in the cool of the evening. They fellowshiped with each other. But that was before sin entered. And Adam was banished from the garden and from that relationship with God. It ceased to exist in the same form. I cannot tell you exactly how Enoch walked with God, but I do think that his walk with God was something like that that Adam had before sin entered. Adam's sinful nature was surely in Enoch, as it is in all of humanity. I'm quite certain Enoch was not perfect. He was not sinless. Yet there was a quality about Enoch's life that God delighted in. There is no other human described in Scripture like Enoch. Enoch, in my view, was able to fulfill the words of 1 John, which were yet to be written, If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. 
And this, my friends, is a man who lived a thousand years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem. How Enoch must have pleased the Father. Can you hear the words of Jesus as well? Well done, Enoch, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Knowing a lot of, about something does not a, amount to much if I'm not walking in it. The issue for many of us is not what we know, it's what we show. The issue is not what we're talking, it's what we're walking. Having a million dollars in my bank account does me no good if I don't ever write a check on it. So the issue for us, for many of us, is not our heart. It's our feet. Now, I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. So I assure you, I did not draw this heart. But I married an artist, so you can blame her for this if you see an imperfection there. But I think it's pretty good. This represents many Christians. This represents many of us. Our hearts are big. We often say of certain people, they've got a big heart. They're giving, they're kind, they're generous, they're good. We know the truth. We know the path of holiness. We know God's commandments. We want to trust. We want to obey. It's in our heart to do that. Our hearts are big. They seem right. And I'm pretty sure that not many of us wake up someday, like I woke up this morning and think, man, this would be a great day to sin. I'm going to go sin today. It feel good. I'm going to provoke a fight with my wife. Blow up. I'm going to go lie to my neighbor. I'm going to steal something from somebody. I'm going to go tear something up. I think I'm going to do that today. Wow. I don't think anybody has ever had that thought that among us. Then why do so many of us keep falling? Why do we seem to always be battling the sin that so easily entangles us over and over and over again. Gallup polls tell us that about 84% of Americans say there is a God. 79% believe in a creator. 64% of Americans say they're born again. 23% say they attend a Christian meeting once a week. 12% say 
attend Christian meetings two times a week. 9% say they read their Bible regularly. Satan has the majority of these people right where he wants them. Lukewarm. Tepid. Maybe even ice cold. What's the old saying? Many are cold and a few are frozen. Would it be accurate to say that some of us are often lukewarm, tepid, possibly even at times frozen? So our, our image of the big heart is just part of the picture. For every heart has feet. What we believe must be fleshed out. We don't live in a bubble. We don't live under a bushel. We live our lives before people. In living relationships, people cannot see into my heart. But they can hear my words. And they do observe my deeds. Actions do indeed speak louder than words. They can see what I do with my feet. And in the case of so many of us, our feet are like the feet of a baby bird or a tiny infant trying to carry a big heart. Whoops. Maybe it wasn't supposed to stand up under the big heart. There's a lesson there. By the way, the last time I saw my wife singing Back Up, she was with the Supremes. Not the original Supremes, but her little girlfriend's Supremes. You'll have to talk her into doing that one day. So... I think there ought to be another verse written to come into my heart, which says, come into my feet. Come into my feet, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my feet, Lord Jesus. Paul writes these words in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. The Holy Spirit 
manifest and living within us, acts as an internal policeman, empowering us, enabling us to obey and to abstain from ungodliness and worldly passions. This sense, this knowledge of Holy Spirit's presence should be so strong in every one of us that we would make even the most difficult personal sacrifices in order to remain obedient before our Father. Many years ago, I needed some additional money, so I took a job umpiring church league softball. Never again. Now, I have played in over, over a thousand baseball, softball games in my life and have been associated with some very intense moments. Many of those intense moments involve some degree of yelling at an umpire. Not me, mind you. Seriously. Never. Although I did provoke a brawl one time at State Road, North Carolina in a softball tournament. And if you want to know about that, you can ask me later. But I have never encountered such cussing and momentary hatred that often emerged from Christians during that season. And let the record show, I don't think I ever missed a call. After one game, the lady whose responsibility it was to pay me, her team had just played and lost on a controversial call. So she was getting the check out of her pocket and added these words. I have to pay you, but you... You don't deserve it. I cannot quote her, but uh, if you were a sailor, you know what she was saying. My response to her and to several of her male teammates standing by her was this. If playing softball makes you feel, act, and speak like this then maybe you should consider not playing. And I meant it. And I still mean it today. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5, 6, that if our right hand causes us to stumble, we should cut it off and throw it away. No extent of personal self-discipline is too great If it means the difference between obeying or disobeying God. And for those of us who think that such an act like cutting off your hand is too radical, too much to ask, Jesus further comments on the consequences of not walking. Mark 9, 43. For it is better that one of your body parts perish than for your whole body to go into hell. So, it is that whatever causes us to stumble, 
to fall, to have weak feet, to lose our feet, needs to be addressed. Now, maybe that thing for you is fishing or hunting, TV, money, jewelry, your hair, what's left of it, clothes, fantasy sports. Stepping on my own toes. The Franklin Panthers. Carolina basketball. The University of Tennessee football team. Fill in the blank. What is it? We have good intentions. Our heart is big. We want to obey. We never want to sin. But it's there. And it grabs us time after time after time. Each of us needs to examine our own lives and see what it is that causes us to act in such a way that brings any reproach on our Lord Jesus. You see, your life is your witness. For many people, the only Bible they'll ever read is you and me. Now, of course, God gave us passions. Of course, He gave us interests and abilities. Of course, Christ wants us to enjoy life. But all of these things are temporal. They will not exist in heaven, except for music, I think. If anything causes you to lose your footing, I urge you by the mercies of Christ to seek the Lord. And if necessary, cut it off. Let it go. Do not be as the one who is able to see the splinter in someone else's eye while a log exists in your own. Deep revelations will be relatively worthless unless the small things are in order. As we are faithful in the little things God has given us, our feet grow stronger and better able to support all that's in our hearts. If I claim to live in Him, then I must walk as Jesus walked. Every day, That He gives me. Every day when I rise out of bed, I get up. It's my desire to please my Father that day. It's my desire, my goal, my ambition to live a perfect, sinless life today. Do I sin? (laughs) Of course I do. The baseball pitcher, Oral Hershiser, who primarily pitched for the Los Angeles Dodgers during his career, tells the story of how he approached every game that he played in. He was a pitcher. He said, when I go out to the mound at the beginning of the game, before I throw the first pitch, my goal is to pitch a perfect game. 27 batters, 27 outs. 
No one reaches on a walk. No one gets a hit. Now, very few perfect games have ever been pitched in the, in the history of Major League Baseball. Very few. Maybe one a year, if that. But he said, that's my goal. And then when the first batter I faces gets a hit or hits it over the fence for a home run, and I've already lost my, my dream, my goal, what do I do? He says, I regroup. And I say to myself, that's it. No more hits. No more runs. I'm going to pitch a perfect game from here on out. So I get up in the morning and today I think I'm going to live a sinless life today. I'm going to be perfect in all my ways. I'm going to please my Father in everything I do and say. And then I sin during the day. What recourse do I have? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And my restoration is clear before my Father. And from that point on, during the rest of the day, my ambition is to live a sinless life. From that point on. My feet grow stronger with every obedience. May the day come when it can be said of us that we, like Enoch, walked with God. To hear my father say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And I don't think that just means heaven. Certainly there's joy there. But as we obey Christ and walk with him day to day, there's a joy of the Lord to be entered into. Through obedience to him. Of course, I never believed what my daddy said to me that night. I never followed his advice. What we say and what we do should match each other. No hypocrisy. Big heart. Big feet. Big heart, big feet. Lord, come into my feet. The heart's really not the issue. It's my feet. Jesus accomplished this. I want to. John Gowans and John Larson wrote this little song many years ago. I think it sums it up nicely. I often think about it and sing it to myself. And it goes like this. To be like Jesus. This hope possesses me in every thought indeed. This is my aim, my creed. To be like Jesus. This hope possesses me, the Spirit helping me, like Him I'll be, to be like Jesus. This hope possesses me, 
the Spirit helping me, like Him I'll be. Jesus, come into my feet. Father, may that be our prayer today. We are so grateful that you have come into our hearts. That our salvation is secure. Our relationship with you. We are free in Christ. You have redeemed us. Bought us. Purchased us. The work that you've begun in us, you will continue until the day of Christ. For that we're so grateful. We know that we know we have a Savior. So now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to move among us personally in my own space right now. I ask you, Lord, to examine me. To to open the closet doors where I've shoved stuff. And it's hidden and dusty, but sometimes it comes out and bites me. Things I've pushed under the carpet, into the corner. Things I didn't think were there. Things that are often ugly. Holy Spirit, examine me. And enable me now in these moments to lay it all before you. To give it all to Jesus. Shattered dreams. Ruined hearts. Broken toys. At the foot of the cross. I want to walk with you, Lord. I want to walk with you. Thank you for that in Jesus' name.